Jesus, we come to bring you our worship and the words of the gospel so clearly sung just then. Let that become such a reality in our lives that we would praise and worship you, that we would bow down and give you honor and glory because you are the one, Jesus, who gave your life and paid it all so that no longer are we stained with blood, but in Christ we are whiter than snow. Oh, show us that this morning. And let that call us up to a glorious life of following you, where through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we find that we are transformed more and more into your likeness, King Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would meet every person here today. Come speak, come reveal yourself. Open our eyes to things in our lives that we might have been hiding, might not wanted to see. Break us free. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a number of years ago, uh, the Anglican mission that we're a part of had something called Winter Conference, and it was in Dallas for a number of years. And, and there was this one speaker that came in from England. His name was Simon Ponsonby. He had written a book on the Holy Spirit that he was speaking about, and the book was titled More, How You Can Have More of the Spirit When You Already Have Everything in Christ. It was a fantastic uh, conference that he came to speak at. But he said something very interesting. He said ever since he wrote that book more on the Holy Spirit, he said he'd gotten more speaking engagements at churches all over the world than he ever imagined. Well, about a year after he wrote that book, he wrote another book called The Pursuit of the Holy on Living a Holy Life. Guess how many calls he's gotten for conferences on that? <laughs> Zero. He said, it's shocking, isn't it? We, we want to know more about the Holy Spirit and, and learn how to live out of the gifts of the Spirit and all of that, and that's good stuff. But it's interesting how few really want to dive in and lean into, what does it really look like to live a holy life? How do I follow a holy God who's redeemed my life and live in a way that brings honor and glory, that reflects His holiness to the world around us? Friends, that's what we're going to take a look at this morning for the next few minutes as we uh, unpack part of the passage that Dustin read in Ephesians 5. If you've been with us the previous weeks, we've been in Ephesians 4 for about three or four weeks, and we've been looking at the importance of what it means that we are the body of Christ and how crucial that is, especially in our day and age. Well, today Paul takes us on a little bit of a turn, and he highlights something else that is so important in our lives, and that's the pursuit of holiness. That's the pursuit as a body of Christ that we would come as a pure body in His presence and in this world. Well, there's two things I want to just look at briefly, two points. First is we're going to look at the problem. Paul addresses a very big problem in the church of Ephesus. It's a problem in the church today here as well that we need to look at. As he produces, he shows us the problem, we're also going to see the antidote. How do we, how do we break free? What does it look like to live pure lives through God's grace? So let's first look at this. Look at how, listen again how Paul begins chapter 5 of Ephesians. He begins with these words, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, talk no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure 
or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And you can read that and go, oh my gosh, who, who in Little Rock has a place in the kingdom of God? And you may be thinking, who, okay, who among us has a place in the kingdom of God? Well, the beauty of this is that because of the blood of Jesus, we become new creations in Christ. And the things that we dabbled in or were a part of our lives, he says, they don't no longer have to be and they no longer should be because I've made you new. I love how Paul begins chapter 5. He talks about this statement of what genuine love really looks like. And he talks about it as with these words of self-sacrifice, living our lives, that our lives would be a fragrant aroma to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, that how you live your life uh, as you live following the sacrifice of Christ for you. When we live that way, that is a fragrant aroma to the Lord. And Paul writes about sacrificial loving others. I love the term that I heard. It's, it's living for the flourishing of others. And so Paul begins with genuine love. Here's what genuine love looks like. And then he quickly turns in verse 3 to the perversion of love. And that's where lust comes in. That's where he's including all kinds of sexual activity outside of marriage. And it's interesting, he mentions the exact opposite of self-sacrifice. You know what it is? It's (laughs) self-gratification. You see, on the one hand, we're called to, to live a sacrificial life, thinking, considering others more important than ourselves, as Christ did for us. But what's happened here, and he's naming it in the church, and it's in the church today, it's this, instead of living, self-sacrificing, loving others in that way, we tend to live out of self-gratification. And that's the exact opposite. You know, self-gratification, it's, it's gratifying all the desires of my flesh. It's I want what I want for my own pleasure. And this is where we see the problem that Paul is addressing to the church in Ephesus. He's addressing it to our church today as well. And we need to see this. He's saying instead of living self-sacrificing, you've been living in a way that is self-gratifying. Verse 3, listen to this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper for the saints. Paul is stating a high standard for the church, and I would say, friends, rightly so. When we look at what it costs Jesus to die for our sins, to call us into a life of holiness that reflects the glory of the Trinity, there is a high standard because Jesus has called us to something far greater than living a life of self-gratification. And I love what he does here. He calls these people, he reminds them who they are. They're saints, (laughs) I wonder if you need to be reminded who you are today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint, a son, a daughter of the living God. That's who you are. And Paul's saying, in light of that, live out of that truth and reality for your life. Don't go back to the way in which you once lived. That brings death. But live out of this new life that I've come to give you. See, he's given us something far greater than a life of self-gratification. Because you know what that's all about? When we live a life of self-gratification, what we're really doing is this. We're using the other person for our own pleasure. And friends, people are too valuable to be used. No one should be used. But that's what self-gratification is all about. And the hearers of this in the early church would have totally understood what Paul was talking about because they lived in a culture in the Roman Empire where, where sexual immorality was rampant. 
They had numerous idols, numerous false gods that, that they would worship around fertility and so forth. And I realized, you know what, we might not have those today, but we're really no different. <laughs> we're really no different than they were back then. Not much has changed at all. And so these words that Paul writes, especially in verses 6 and 7, we need to hear this morning. He writes, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Those key, that key statement, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because you and I need to recognize this, that the culture in which we live has a message of a lot of empty words. It's a deceptive message that it's, we're picking up on so easily, and it so easily can seep into the church. Part of the message is this, and it's, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and it's redefining good and evil on our own terms. Where I'm going to define what's right, I'm going to define what's good, I'm going to get to define what's evil. And that's the exact battle that Adam and Eve felt in the garden. And they gave in and they created their own. And look what happened since then. They thought what would give them life actually brought death. And they were banished out of the garden, away from the presence of God. It brought the exact opposite. And I think that's why we need to heed these words that Paul is saying for us in the church today. That what we think self-gratification is going to bring me the deep pleasure that I really want. And I will tell you it will for a little bit. But then guess what? It's got a hook on it. And it comes around and it gets you. And you can't take that hook out. You know what I'm talking about. Because we all experience that pull. It's that lie that the enemy says that, you know what, follow your pleasures. It's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. No one should tell you not to. No one should, should tell you what to do. No one should impose their morals or their rights on you, right? And so things like that become more and more rapid and we forget, wait a minute. No, God has designed the beauty of sex in a marriage because it's glorious in that one place. That's how glorious it is. You do it outside of that, it becomes corrupt and it actually kills and destroys. The Lord came to bring life to pull us out of that. We also listen to the voice of the culture when, you know, when scripture doesn't match up to what we want, we pick and choose. Yeah, I, I'm going to follow this section right here. I like what Paul wrote here. But this over here, that's antiquated. That was for a different time in a different place. And I would say no. It's the whole of God's word is for us today in its entirety. Because it's a life-giving word in every way. We need to become, as I've spoken over the last few weeks, we need to become aware of the voices that were coming into our heads we need to be people who have discerning ears. How able are you to discern the voice of the culture versus the voice of the Lord that's actually true? See, I've named it before. We're always being discipled into something. We're either going to be discipled into Christ where there's life or we're going to be discipled in the ways of the world that, again, seem alluring for a while. But, friends, they will catch up and they will rob you and me of life in every way. You see, when the Scripture is no longer our authority, we fall into this life of self-gratification, making it all about me. Maybe you've heard these sayings that, that, that I hear people say today. Just be true to yourself. What they're saying is be true to yourself. Do, do what you want. 
Okay, if, if you're feeling this way, then go pursue that. You do you. Do what feels right to you. And, and in a sense, okay, yeah, but then wait a minute, those are lies. Because we weren't meant to be these autonomous people calling the shots what's true or false on our own. We were created by a creator and his name is God, the triune God. And when we live out of as, out life as he designed it, friends, I will tell you there is freedom, there is joy, there is life more than you and I can imagine. And so we need to see these words that Paul is saying to us, that God has designed a greater way to live, that Jesus came to redeem us for, so that we could live in a different way. So that's the problem in the church. That, that's something that we need to recognize in our lives, okay? But then he mentions the antidote. So that's, that's the bad news, if you will. So what's the good news? What's the hope when we're wrestling with these things? When, when there's still parts of our lives in varying degrees, we don't want them to be. We, we know that, we, that that's not what God's called us to, but yet they kind of still are. You know, we kind of have our foot in both worlds. What's the antidote? How do we break free? Well, he names it here in verse 4. I love it. It, it. it can be easy to miss, but he says this. He wrote, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, that's crucial. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving comes from what? Comes from our minds focused on the Lord. From our minds, what I would say, being renewed in the Lord through His words. Does that make sense? Because when you're offering thanks, you're focused on who? You're focused on God, who He is and what He's done. And friends, I believe that's the beginning of renewal. Renewal doesn't come from behavioral change, period. You know, I could say, just stop that. <laughs> How many times have you told your kids, just stop, you know? And, and you're like, I can't just stop it. I would stop it if I really could. But there's a greater pool there. You see, that's why behavior modification never really worked. Because we can try to change our behavior, but there's more to it. What needs to change is our thoughts. Where are we placing our thoughts? John Stott wrote when he was writing a commentary on Ephesians, these words, I think he's spot on. He wrote, what we are governs how we think, and how we think determines how we act. Let me say that again. He wrote, what we are governs how we think, and how we think determines how we act. So I want to go back to that beginning. Do you know who you are? That's where it begins. Do you know as a follower of Christ, you're a saint, Paul mentioned it in the first two verses. He goes, you're a son, you're a children of the living God. You're a daughter, you're a son. You've been redeemed, you've been called up. Your identity has radically changed. It begins when we know who we are. You see, friends, when we know who we are, then we begin to live daily through God's Word, renewing our minds through the Scriptures. And when we renew our minds through the Scriptures, guess what happens? Our behavior changes. The affections of our heart change because something greater than this out here has captured my heart. And that's the Lord. Do you see that? That's why it's important first to know who we are, then to come and have our minds, our thoughts renewed by the gospel of God's grace. Paul mentions it in this way in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to how he tees it up. He wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. What if we lived that way, friends? Really presenting our bodies, our lives to God. We would want to say, I want purity in my heart, in my life. That our lives are actually an act of worship to God. But then he goes on, he writes this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you see the important thing that he said? That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's how we find our lives changing. It's not by just saying, okay, you're telling me to stop this. No, it's having my, my mind renewed around the beauty of who God is. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul put it this way. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. So let me ask you a few questions to think about. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you spend most of your time reading or watching? What images imprint themselves on your mind? What are you allowing to shape your thoughts during the day? What things of this world seem to capture your heart and control your imagination? Think about how you would answer some of those questions. You see, when we set our minds on things above, let me tell you what we're doing. We are taking our thoughts and seeing Christ who is seated on his throne, his throne of grace. We're, we're seeing his nail-pierced hands and we're being reminded what it cost that you redeemed my life. We're seeing Christ in glory, that he's the victorious one who, who in the battle with the enemy on the cross, he overcame the grave and defeated the enemy for us. When we begin to set our minds on things above, we're reminded of what Christ has done and who we are in him. In the first service, we sang a song that we often sing in here called Before the Throne of God Above. You know that song? I want you to listen to some of the lyrics. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the, sea, the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. You see what's happening there? They're writing about what happens when we set our minds upon the beauties of Christ. We're reminded of what our Savior has done for us. That's what it means, friends, to set our minds on things above. Paul brings a little more powerful imagery in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he writes this, we all, and I love this, this statement, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You want to know what it means to have our minds set on the things above. It's where we're actually beholding the glory of God. Can you imagine that? See, I think it's really true. I've heard it said, we become what we behold. If we're beholding the things of this world, we're going to become no different than the things of this world. 
But friends, if we are beholding the glory of God and we are just being captured and captivated by his glorious goodness, like, like this is a foretaste of that in here in our worship, what would it be like to begin to take this worship service into your day on Monday, seeking to behold the glory of the Lord, remembering the songs, singing songs, whatever that looks like, but beholding the glory of the Lord. Friends, that changes our lives. That's where true life change is found. And that's the cure. That's the antidote. It's learning to set our minds on the things above. Then we will be able to discern with greater clarity the voice of the world versus the voice of the Lord. And the Lord's voice will begin to come in and radically change our lives. I want to end with a challenge and um, maybe a bit of application, okay? Here's what I say as I look at what Paul is writing here. I thought about this the other day. Passive spectators will not grow in holiness. Passive spectators will not grow in holiness. Passive spectators don't grow in holiness. No one drifts into holiness. I would say this. One of the saddest things that I've seen as a pastor over this season of COVID has been how so many in the church have allowed comfort and convenience to define their lives. Comfort and convenience. We haven't been together. We're getting together more. But it's been hard to get together, and I know that. Kimberly was on a girls' weekend a few weeks ago with some friends that were hers from when we were before we were married at our church. And they, they get together every year for about four or five days. This one was a little different. It was interesting because she came back and she said, I was, I was really kind of heartbroken in some ways because all the conversations were about politics and COVID and all kinds of other stuff. And anytime she tried to inject, what is God doing? How are you seeing the Lord work? And these are godly women. They just got derailed to these other things. And then she said, what, is, what does church look like for y'all these days? Now, these are people who aren't hesitant to come to church because of COVID. They would be in church. They might wear a mask. They might not, but they would come. But they said, you know what? Over the last year, it's just gotten so comfortable to watch it in our pajamas. We can have our cup of coffee and just sit at home and watch it and go about our day. Now, listen, hear me say this properly. I'm glad that we have live stream and we're going to continue to live stream because there are people who cannot come on Sundays And I'm glad because you're playing it safe and I want you to continue to play it safe, okay? But I know that there are others who who have just gotten into a passive, comfortable life. And you just, you could come, but you're just, it's gotten too easy. Patterns and habits over the year have brought, you know, just kind of, oh, you know, I'll go if I go, or maybe I won't. Here's my challenge for us as the church. (laughs) We need worship, friends. Whether we're doing it at home in line with our family or online just with, you know, watching it. We don't need just worship, but we need community. And for some right now, that community is going to be continued on by Zoom stuff. But don't find yourself an isolated person just out there because, friends, that will destroy your life as following the Lord. We need each other. We're about to start community groups off in the next month. Some will be Zoom. Some will be in person. Something for everybody. Listen, we need to come back to what I would say is a heart, passion, and pursuing the Lord with all we have, pursuing purity in our lives. And friends, that doesn't, it cannot happen well when it's just me. I need friends speaking into my life. I need community around me in my life. That can happen in these days. And so who is that in your life 
that you can invite in to share whatever you want to share. Be gut-wrenchingly honest and allow God and His Spirit to come bring transformation. That's what we need is a church to pursue holiness for the Lord, you see? And so that's the challenge and encouragement. I hope you hear it from a heart that loves you all, that loves, that longs. I long for purity. I got a long way to go. But I pray that you would have a heart longing for purity in the Lord. Because when we do, we see the glory of the Lord in greater and greater ways. Amen? Let me pray. Father, Lord, these are challenging words that Paul wrote, and, and probably for some, rather not hear or rather not speak on or preach on. But your word is living and active, and it cuts through us like a double-edged sword. And we need you to come and do heart work in our lives so that through your grace, our minds would be renewed to your glory and majesty and that we would long to live out of this new life you have given us through Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, do this work you long to do in our midst. Call us up to be a holy body, a fragrant aroma pleasing to you. For as the world sees this church, may they see something so utterly beautiful that they come and say, what is going on? That they see the glory of Christ shining through us. So come, Holy Spirit, do this work. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.